0: Hello and welcome to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton Center at the Ag PhD Field Day site. I'm Darren Hefty, along with my brother Brian. We are not in the studio today. We're we're over at our Field Day site because we're just wrapping up the Ag PhD Soybean Workshop. Talked to growers here from multiple states about some of their best tips on how to get high-yielding soybeans and shared some that we've learned as well. Uh, We've got a live audience that's here. I know some folks are going to have to hit the road, but we've got quite a few folks sticking around. We'll take questions from the audience. If you have a question, uh, just raise your hand. We'll come to you with a microphone so everybody that's listening on the radio can hear what your question is and and what the answer is, too. Uh, Also, if you're listening on the radio and you say, oh, man, I wish I was there, but I couldn't be there today, no problem. You can send us your questions,
1: radio at agphd.com, and we'll answer them as well. Uh, Okay, so we've had a live stream audience uh, during our workshop today, too. They've been sending us in a number of questions, and and we definitely want to get to some of those as well. So, Darren, what's the first one you got there?
0: Okay, Uh, so this one comes in from Chris. He said, uh, you guys talked about using Liberty a a number of times today. So my specific question is, if I'm using it post-emerge on soybeans instead of Roundup, Are you still seeing the same benefits using MegaGrow? Does that help? Is there any problem mixing that with Liberty? Hey, Chris, I would say this. We have a lot of growers that use MegaGrow with their foliar applications, not just with Roundup, but with other products too. Uh, I have seen a lot of it going out at the same time Liberty's going out and we have seen that be very positive in fields. So yeah, you absolutely could add that in with Liberty. That would not be an issue.
1: Yep, Grow is plant growth hormones. Usually after Megagrow applications, we see more of the good growth hormones in the plant and we see better root growth as well. All right, we're ready for our first question. If you could give us your first name and the state you're from, that would be great.
2: My name's Willis, I'm from Iowa. Oh, I was wondering... A lot of my tissue tests on soybeans come up consistently low on copper. Yep. Um, Is there some way I should raise that through foliar or put on some just copper under the soil? And what's, yeah, how's the best way to handle that?
1: Yep.
0: You can, you can put copper out there foliar, but I would use a low rate and be very cautious about that. We've seen foliar applications of copper lead to some severe burns. So there's only so much you can put on. I wouldn't say, wow, I've got to try and build my soil up to five parts per million or something with a foliar spray. I like the soil applied applications yep. much better. But if you're in season and you say, hey, I got a good crop coming here, but I'm shorting this one nutrient. Could I do that? You sure could. You just can't get a lot in that way so
1: just don't get carried away on the rate yeah with copper it's actually pretty inexpensive Um, we like to do copper sulfate we'll do the variable rate across our fields you could do it dry otherwise you can get a copper sulfate that you can mix in water as well and just spray it out with the sprayer we've done both Um, if you're going to spray it out with the sprayer uh, my number one tip for you is do not let it sit in that tank overnight Okay, that has caused problems for some people. Just make sure you get it done uh, or get it cleaned out. But when you do that, um, your copper doesn't leach away. It doesn't disappear on you. It's going to stay there for years and years and years. So once you get that copper built up, then you're usually in pretty good shape for a long time. And up on the screen, I was just going to pull this up real quick, that for a great soybean crop a hundred bushel soybeans it only needs 0.15 pounds of copper so a lot of people are like oh it's no big deal and I'm sure everything's fine no Um, one of the things that we have found is there's a phosphorus to copper ratio we found this in corn and in soybeans and the right ratio is somewhere in the general ballpark of 30 to 1 phosphorus to copper 30 to one phosphorus to copper. That's usually what we would like to see. And so even on this next slide that I got here, what would I like to have in my soil? when I look at copper, I just take my phosphorus number divided by 30. That's what I would like to have. So a lot of times we're talking three parts per million, five parts per million, somewhere in that general range, which is a lot more than we usually see on soil tests. A lot of the soil tests that come in uh, to our radio show, we see less than one part per million. And that's almost certainly number one hurting yield, but number two, you have less disease tolerance when your plant doesn't have enough copper in it. So if you build your copper levels up, copper is kind of considered the disease nutrient. Um, usually, you've got a lot better disease tolerance and things work out better. So, but yeah, it'll once you get that level up. I, I mean, as you can see, if you were only going to pull a tiny little bit of copper off. I mean, you might only have to apply copper once every few years at a very low rate, and you're perfectly fine for a really long time. Okay, good question. Take another one over here. Hi, I'm Grady from uh, right here in South Dakota. Uh, I've been wondering, uh, there's a natural product I've heard of. I'm not sure if it has a brand name, but I know the active name of the fungus is Bavaria basania. Uh, most of what I've heard about it is uh, it has insecticidal capabilities. Uh, it, it infects uh, insects that come in contact with its spores. I've also heard some things that it uh, might help a little bit against white mold uh, by simply out-competing it on the plant stems. I was just wondering if you guys had heard anything about that or might have any more information on it. You know what,
0: that last comment you made about out-competing, and I think that's something pretty interesting with some of these naturals because we, we have seen it, like yesterday, we were talking about some of the fungal endophytes that are out there on the market, that if they can colonize within that plant, that it they can actually fight off other... Fungus that's trying to get in, so that would not surprise me at all if you found something that could outcompete, as long as you figured out how to keep that alive and keep it reproducing to to do more. Um, I don't know if that we've worked with that one yet specifically, uh, so I don't know if their claims are accurate, but I would say that their claims are not outlandish. I, I, I think that concept is certainly being talked about by a lot of companies and a lot of different products in the biological market that. If we can get the right amount of good guys out there, there's only so much space on the root, there's only so much space in the stem. Uh, if we can fill it up with good guys, we can try and hold off some of those uh, bad actors <laughs> a little bit longer. Uh, so, you know, that one, uh, when we think about bugs and disease, uh, to have that crossover, I'm not sure. Uh, I guess we'll have to find out. And that's, that's one that, that we may have to uh, put into our testing program if we haven't tested that one yet. Lots of different naturals out there. I was just talking to uh, one of the larger seed processors in the country uh, out in Indiana today, and he was talking to me about naturals, and he goes, man, this naturals market's really taking off. A lot of the companies you work with are demanding different naturals we put on as seed treatments. And and here's one of the tricky things, though. He's like, I get seed treatments from different places. It might be the same thing. So there might be multiple different names on the same product. So we'll, we'll look into that product you were talking about. Are right, you listening to AgPHD Radio. Stay tuned.
3: Morton Buildings has served the American farmer for more than 120 years. From manufacturing our own building components to constructing your building, Morton takes pride in being the industry leader in post-frame construction by providing a quality building and exceptional customer service. A Morton is built to last for generations. To get started on your next project, please visit mortonbuildings.com.
2: Your farm's greatest challenge is making sure your crop has enough fertility to reach its yield goals. But how do you know if you're applying too much of any one nutrient? Fine-tune your fertility plan with Verify. Your combine collects hundreds of yield data points per acre. Verify takes that data and instantly generates variable rate fertility maps based on crop removal. So you can be confident you're not overapplying. Get started today
4: at Verify.com. That's V-R-A-F-Y dot com. Maverick Corn Herbicide from Valent USA has proven to be a key part of growers' success in fighting problematic weeds. But don't take it from us. Take it from agronomy manager Nate Honek.
1: We've seen tremendous weed control that was sprayed in dry, hot conditions with uh, very little rain within two weeks after application. Very easy application. Definitely tank mixed well with the various products we used.
4: Visit valent.com backslash maverick to learn more about Maverick Corn Herbicide. Always read and follow label instructions.
0: Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. I'm Darren Hefty along with my brother Brian. We're broadcasting following the Ag PhD Soybean Workshop and always a lot of things going on in soybeans and a lot of questions. Please don't be afraid to ask questions. Don't be afraid to try some new things. If you've got a new idea or a question, you can always email us radio at agphd.com. We're taking questions from our audience here. we still got a number of folks around and uh, we'll take our next question now. Adam, South Dakota. Is it safe
3: and can you use MegaGrow as a seed treatment at a low rate for corn and soybean?
0: Yes. Well, in-furrow
1: for sure. Yeah, in-furrow, sorry.
3: In, yeah,
0: in-furrow, in furrow not sure. seed treatment. Yes. Yeah, 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 it, yeah, yeah, we've tried a number of different PGRs on seed treatments and we've seen mixed results, but in-furrow, it works really well. Yep. So I, I don't know if it's the concentration that you might get some seed that has a little more than others, that type of thing. Uh, we, we were trying well with xyway fungicide. Uh, triazoles are known to uh, inhibit gibberellic acid production and if you put xyway in furrow and you don't get it spread evenly and it's well we, we've seen it with five gallons of water putting xyway in furrow they saw as much as 40 times more xyway on one seed than the next. Well, zyway is not a PGR, but if it inhibits a PGR like gibberellic acid that is um, involved in stem elongation, what we saw is uh, we still saw 100% stand, but we saw an unevenness of stand because where we had 40 times more zyway, well, those plants were shorter. Where we didn't have any zyway, those plants were taller, at least for the first leaf stage or so. Uh, and it it made everybody pretty nervous. We've seen the same kinds of things with putting PGRs on the seed. So I'd say in-furrow, yes. Early post-emerge, absolutely. On the seed, try it on a small scale first before you get carried away with that one. But boy, we like that Mega Grow combination. It's been really good. All right, Uh, next question over
3: here. Hey, Brian and Darren, thanks for the show. Got a question on willie cup, and we have push-up terraces, okay. and it's in there pretty thick. Yep. But we always have late-seasoned willy cup, in which we got to go out there with the rig, knocks down the rows, kills them off, and we end up with a so significant. So it's on those
0: grassy terraces.
3: Yeah, it's kind of mixed in, blows into this into the canopy, nice. and it still grows even though the it's pretty late in the season. How would you control some of that late-season willy cup from growing when? It doesn't seem like the canopy's taking care of it. Uh, soybeans? Yes. Yes. Okay.
1: Yep. So, usually, what we're going to say is use a yellow at a pretty good rate. Uh, trifluralin, sonolin, prowl. But this is lastly. on those terraces, on the, no,
0: on the grassy he's saying, parts, or he, he's you're worried about, about his out crop. in the fields.
3: Yeah. It, it's if just in the terraces which then migrates into the crop. Right, so, so we're talking about how do we kill it in the crop. In the crop to control it so I don't have to go out late in the year. And run over run stuff. Run over yep. that because you're trying to okay. knock the grass okay. down because it is an issue. It it will limit the yield significantly.
1: Yep, so we've also had plenty of terraces over the years. We've We've been fortunate we've been able to take some of the terraces out because it wasn't super hilly where we were at, but we still have some terraces left and we know exactly what you're talking about. And a lot of these terraces, by the way, we're designed for much smaller equipment than we're running now. That's That's been the other thing we've learned, but anyway. Uh, so yeah, I like the yellow early on, uh, and that's really the best thing. And it, yeah, you know, Liberty
0: is actually really good on woolly cup it, grass as well. So if you've got but a no soybean, residual. you
1: can use Liberty. Right, it's just going to kill what's yeah. out there. So he's after residual control, and a lot of people, and this is what I was talking about a little bit earlier. A lot of people now, instead of using a yellow, Trifluralin, Prowl, or Sondland, they're using a Group 15, like Warrant, Dual, Outlook, whatever. Those things are pretty lousy on, on Wooly Cup. They're just not very good. So in corn, for example, Balance Flex we like. We always used to like Eradicane when that was around, but the Group 15s just aren't that good. So that's my number one recommendation would be use a yellow and use a good strong rate if you want to have it last way late into the season. So the challenge with that is, especially if these terraces, if you end up doing any overlap, I hope you have automatic shutoffs on your sprayer so you're not overlapping because if you double or triple up a yellow, you're going to end up with carryover into your corn. But as long as it's a normal rate, I'm not too worried about it. So that's what I would do. I don't know what else there really would be that's going to give you good residual Real late in the season because liberty, no residual, roundup, no residual. They're both great at killing. High rates there. of cleftum, no, yep, residual. no residual. I, so that's about it. It's the yellow. I, I can't think off the top of my head of anything else. Yep.
0: The other thing is just to get a great crop canopy and this might be something that's are you in thirty inch rows? Yeah. Yeah. You but might, it does, it might does say seem right
3: to be a little tough even it's usually a late rain invigorates a little oh, yeah. bit of growth and that's yeah. usually the problem.
0: Yeah, yeah I, I'd be really curious if just around the terrace you, you went back and planted in between those rows made a 15 inch row so it was just that much thicker to try to choke it out. That definitely help. I, I think that'd be interesting to do but man good luck uh, going around a terrace and trying to be perfect without running over your crop but uh, if you had a drill maybe you drill some beans in just that first pass around the terrace that might be another option too.
3: Yep. There's really no late, like post residual to put down to kind of help out at all, then.
1: That's what we're getting at because the only late residual that a lot of guys will use is a group 15, a warrant, a duel, an outlook, and they'll help a tiny little bit, but they're just not that good on woolly cup. Other grasses, fine, but they're just not great on woolly cup. Okay. Yep. All right. Well, okay. Thanks. Yep. You bet. Take another question over here.
0: Oh, earlier you touched on it. Um, how can you tell if you're short of calcium uptake when you're having high soil test calcium results? Yeah, high calcium in the soil does not mean you're going to have good availability of calcium, and that that is is a real challenge. One thing that I've I've heard guys say too is, "Hey, I put some gypsum out there, and I had a big gain. Was it the sulfur?" or was it the calcium? There are a lot of different calcium products out there that a guy can try. There's one that I like that's a low rate liquid that agroliquid has, it's called Liberate CA. That one's been pretty interesting. Uh, I had a field that was like you're talking about. Uh, I called it the blank slate field. It was low in absolutely everything except calcium. It was ridiculously high. And I tried Liberate CA to have some available calcium. I put it in the row and it worked great for me. I had a really nice response on that, uh, and I, I've also talked to some guys in a spot where uh, they needed to put lime out there. They were desperately low. They had a gain as well, so it could work whether you're super high or super low to at least get some available, available calcium in. Gypsum would do the same thing if you did a low rate of gypsum. Uh, okay, how do you, but how come, do you see it? Right. Uh, I guess tissue testing would probably be the the best way to to see what level am I at compared to the good areas of my field. And if I see, oh, I'm getting way more calcium in the crop there versus uh, these poor areas, that that would be what I would do anyway. Yeah.
1: So unfortunately, I mean, other than tissue testing, I don't have a great answer to try to figure out if you for sure are if you for sure have a problem, other than you might, if you look on your soil test and you go, wow, I've got 85% calcium. I know it seems completely counterintuitive, but because you have such high calcium, you're not putting calcium on any other way. So the biggest thing that we're always going to suggest is just make sure you're adding more than adequate amounts of sulfur out there. Try that, uh, and like Darren said, you can try some of these other things and just see. It's more experiment than anything else. We just have had some people come to us saying, hey, somebody's telling me I'm not getting adequate calcium into the plant. This is usually the reason why, and it I know it seems just odd. But if you think about it, if I've got low calcium, well, I'm probably adding some somewhere. If I've got low pH, I'm adding some lime or something like that. And very often, it's water-soluble, and then we get it into the plant. But, yeah, if it's just natural in the soil and there's, hey, I've got excess lime or something like that, sometimes it's just not getting in.
0: The other thing that you could do is look at the Ag PhD Nutrient Deficiencies Mm -hmm. app look at your particular crop and look what calcium deficiency looks like. And maybe in the extreme areas, you might see a plant or two that look like that. Uh, A lot of times it has to get pretty severe before it really shows up, but that would be something to take a look at as well.
1: Let's hope it doesn't get to that. Yeah,
0: I, I agree. Uh, Another question. Uh, Oh, oh, we're right up against a break here. We'll catch you right after this break. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. We are following the Ag PhD Soybean Workshop. So uh, we're probably going to get a lot of soybean questions today. Uh, That's fine. If you've got a question and you're listening at home, you can always email us radio at agphd.com. We'll be right back after this.
5: If you look close enough, you can see the hidden potential within your fields. That's why an agroliquid nutrition plan starts with the crop and identifies the precise combination of primary nutrients while focusing on the support of secondary and micronutrients. So every nutrient is working in harmony for your crop to reach its full potential, maximizing growth while offering lower use rates. Apply less. Expect more. Precisely. Find an agroliquid dealer at agroliquid.com.
0: Can you predict the future? I can't. That's why when I'm planting soybeans, I treat with Heads Up Seed Treatment. With more than 15 years of research, Heads Up offers proven protection against both white mold and sudden death syndrome. So no matter what the year throws at you, you've already taken that first step to be prepared. Don't let your beans suffer from disease when they're just starting to look their best. Tell your seed dealer you need Heads Up Seed Treatment. Learn more at HeadsUpST.com.
2: Every season, you're collecting yield data on virtually every acre of your farm. But what good is your data if you never use it? Put it to work with Verify. Verify takes yield data directly from your combine and instantly generates variable rate fertility maps based on crop removal, ensuring your crops get what they need, right where they need it, no matter what equipment you run. Go to Verify.com to find an expert to help you get started. That's V-R-A-F-Y dot com.
5: The hardworking, independent spirit of rural America can often be isolating.
0: Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. We are broadcasting from the Morton Center at the site of the Ag PhD Field Day. And you say, wait a minute. It's got to be cold out there. Well, it's colder than it's been, but... Almost all our snow is gone. We've had uh, a really nice warm-up above normal temperature so far for early February. Really We're not quite ready that. to plant yet, but it almost looks like oh, it could man. be planting and, time. And, you know, you think about it, the Ag PhD field day is the last Thursday in July. It's not that far away, and yeah, we got to wait another what, six, eight weeks here before we get to put our corn in the ground that will be all tasseled out uh, and showy by that point. So, anyway, hope you can make it to the field day. You can find all the details about that at agphd.com. Let's take our next question here
1: uh, Rick Moran, uh, South Dakota. Um, You were saying on your lighter soils that you want to raise the population on your soybeans? Yes. Um, Just the
0: opposite of what we do in corn. Right.
1: Um, If you had a 20-acre light spot in your field and you had variable rate planter,
2: would you raise the uh, variable rate or have you ever tried to diamond? go like 70,000 one way and 70,000 or what, another way? Just well, to... We've
1: done that too, but it takes more time. And then you're right. also running over some stuff. And with the technology we have on planters now with both corn and soybeans, it's pretty easy to just set a variable rate It, it is map. but
0: But to uh, narrow up the row spacing a little bit, that would yes. be another way to it do would. things. So yep. yeah, do I like narrow rows on lighter ground? Absolutely. Uh-huh. Yeah, I I like that. Yep,
1: so rather than doing it you know, any kind of crisscross at all, um, we like just going right down the the center or making it a twin row. We've done that, too. So like in our high-yield plots that we had quite a few years ago, or just a few years ago now, with a bunch of high-yield farmers who do that five years in a row, almost every year, twin rows beat the 30-inch rows. I think every year out of the five years, uh, the twin rows beat the 30-inch rows in soybeans here. Yep. And the nice thing that way is if you did twin rows, let's so say you just move over a little bit. Now you can still hopefully get in between the rows. So you're not running stuff as much stuff over. So,
0: yeah. Right, got another question in the back here.
1: Hi, Paul from north central Nebraska. And it really intrigued me looking at the chart here, how much nutrients these soybeans use just say around day 80 to 100. I was thinking about, you know, Right now, I just put a bunch of dry on potash, you yep. know, and N, P, and K. And the, yep. Well, not so much N. But anyway, what did you think about putting something like some 10 through the pivot and maybe some liquid potash around that day, 80 to 100? I guess a little bit of my concern is are we going to, you know, I don't know if it's a myth or something, but they've always said, you know, oh, don't put nothing on when it's flowering because you're going to abort flowers. What's your thoughts on any of that?
0: Boy, with irrigation, uh, with as much water as coming out there, that's a whole different thing than if you're just going to foliar feed it with five gallons of spray or something like that where it's
1: super concentrated. Okay, okay. but here here's the challenge. You mentioned ten thirty four zero 0 and potash. All right.
0: 10- All right. Now, north central Nebraska, uh, what is your CEC or is it pretty sandy where you're at? Yeah. Yeah, sandy e- soil. Yeah, irrigation. I know. But
1: even even so, I, I, understanding that it's sand, uh, phosphorus just doesn't move very well in soil, and that's the concern that we have. So, if you put 1034 0 through the pivot, is it really truly going to get down into that root system and do well for us? Uh, with potash, how quickly is it going to break down? In our experience, even with lots of water, it doesn't break down real fast. So we want to be early, and that's kind of the point. And I pulled these charts up again, Uh, but where we're going with this, and we mentioned it several times today, that nutrient uptake is very low, in a lot of cases, for the first 60-plus days with soybeans, and then all of a sudden it's an explosion, and it's got to have so much there. Uh, So to get that into the root we've got to have it placed right and so if we put anything over the top not only do we have to liquefy but now we've got to get it down into the ground and get it into that plant so is it possible that could work Uh, this would be one of the things we were talking right at the end where Darren and I disagree on some things and we always say well let's prove it in the field would I try it sure I'm willing to try any crazy idea do I think that that's going to work I think you're ahead to put the P and the K on earlier even in sand even in sand okay Uh, so that's what I would do but you could sure try it the other way all right oh if it was nitrogen sulfur boron absolutely because those things they leach down they move easily that makes complete sense and I I will say this love it, uh, love fertigation yep yeah I in fact I every single time I would run water over a cornfield or a bean field I would have at least a little bit of fertility and I'm not saying ridiculous amount but at least a little bit and yeah just when you see the the charts on the soybeans you go okay it's gonna be a tiny amount early but then I'm gonna push it for my nitrogen my sulfur boron all that kind of stuff as we go later all right
2: Dale from Minnesota. I want to say thank you for everything you do in trying to keep this agricultural industry. Uh, the people are aware of what's going on. But yeah. my question is, we're hearing more and more discussion about carbon intensity scores for your uh, farms and and, yep. and that. And uh, I'm just wondering, have you been approached on any of that, or what? Do you know and what can you share about that?
1: Yeah, so as far as regulation, I will tell you up in Canada, they have some of that. So if you want to research a little bit what Canada is doing, for whatever reason, uh, some legislators in the United States think we need to model ourselves after Canada or especially after Europe. And I always go... Most of our ancestors here in the Midwest left Europe for a reason. Why do we want to model ourselves after them? But whatever. I I just look at it this way,
0: Brian. The people in Washington, D.C. did not grow up on a farm. They don't know anything about the farm. All they know is we've got tractors that have black smoke coming out of them, and we have cows that apparently have a terrible gas problem. But they fly over us as they're heading to California or some other sunny destination. And what they miss is this is the cleanest air we've got. Yep. It's absolutely ridiculous. They also don't understand where carbon dioxide goes. It's crazy. It, carbon dioxide goes into our plants. That's what they breathe in. We are the place that's sucking in the carbon. We are the people that are putting carbon into the ground safely, naturally. We do it all the time. I don't understand this. The only thing that I can think of, Dale, is they just want to regulate us. They just want, hey, how do we control those guys on the farm? Personally, I don't want to take a penny from them for anything. I don't want anybody from Washington, D.C. having anything to do with my farm. I want to do things the best way I can to make money on my farm, treat the environment the best I can. Uh, We're farming our great-grandpa's land. We're fourth generation on that land, and now we've got the next generation coming up that hopefully will be the fifth-generation farm in that ground. We're using water right here out of the wells. I, I don't understand why they think we're trying to do something bad out here on the farm. Okay. We just want this ground to be more productive, to pull in more carbon dioxide so they can live in big cities and pollute all they want. Because that's, that's the whole problem of this carbon discussion is all these companies don't want to pollute less. They just want to pay somebody so they can keep polluting. And they say, oh, my carbon footprint is down 50%. Oh, because you wrote a check? That yep. didn't change your pollution? That's right. It's yep.
1: ridiculous. Yep. Taylor Swift just sold one of her jets because oh. she was getting a hard time about her carbon score. And, and her- also
0: because some college student was tracking
1: her jets yeah, and where but, they were But at. her manager came out and said, well, before her last tour, she bought twice as many carbon credits as she needed to. Okay, well, that car- buying carbon credits, to Darren po- Darren's point does not help the environment. And I'm not against anybody no, flying in a no. plane. Go, go but for it. I, I don't care. We think about it's that. all pretty ridiculous. But I would say this: what carbon? If anybody wants uh, carbon credits, basically all it comes down to is this building soil organic matter. That's the only way that you're going to fix that carbon that was in the air and store it down in the soil. Well, if you build soil organic matter, I mean, unless you get way off the charts high, building soil organic matter is a good thing for the farm. So I just look at, hey, um, we're already doing a great thing, having our plants that pull the carbon dioxide in, kicking oxygen out, making our environment cleaner. And we can do even more by building soil organic matter. We, we've been talking about this for decades, trying to build soil organic matter, just not from the approach of this carbon credit thing. We're just, we have the approach of, we want to make our farm better. All right, we're getting a lot of
0: questions here following the Ag PhD Soybean Workshop. If you say, oh man, I want to come to some of these workshops in the future, you can always find the details at agphd.com. We've got more events coming up uh, later this winter and this summer. Stay tuned. We'll be right back.
5: Are you ready for better efficiency, more productivity, higher yields? Then you're ready for John Deere Precision Technology, which starts with three core pieces. First, a G5 display gives fast views of your work and a window to future technology. A Starfire receiver gives you sub-inch repeatable accuracy without an RTK base station. And a JD-Link modem gives you a live view of your entire operation. Get precise and talk with your John Deere dealer or visit johndeere.com backslash base
4: Maverick Corn Herbicide from Valent USA has proven to be a key part of growers' success in fighting problematic weeds, but don't take it from us, take it from farmer Rob Schaefer.
6: Residuals have become a big part of our chemical programs with trying to battle water hemp and also mares tail is our big one. It's done a real good job of controlling those. You don't have to you know, put a bunch of gallons in your sprayer, cover a lot of acres that way.
4: Visit valent.com backslash maverick to learn more about Maverick Corn Herbicide. Always read and follow label instructions.
7: What's the difference between John, who bought Enlist One Herbicide and Instinct Next-Gen Nitrogen Stabilizer, and Tom, who bought Enlist One and Instinct Next-Gen and used True Choice? Only about $5,000 extra in Tom's pocket? Choose True Choice and get up to 10% back. It's really as simple as that. Start saving at Corteva.com slash save more.
2: On your farm, you spend thousands on fertilizer every season. But how do you know if any nutrient you apply is paying for itself? Build a fertility plan like never before with Verify. With Verify's soil point-to-yield analysis, you can automatically see the connection between your soil test and yield data. To see which fertilizer dollars will make you money and which won't, go to Verify.com to get started
5: today. That's V-R-A-F-Y dot
0: Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. We're excited to talk about soybeans today because uh, we're following up the Ag PhD Soybean Workshop. We've got a number of folks in the audience asking questions. If you have a question, you can always email us, radio at agphd.com. Let's take another question here.
1: Wait, wait, uh, before we oh. get to that. Uh, yep, we had the question earlier about the Bouveria, uh bassiana, or however you say it, that fungus Uh, That is a product called BioSeries, or it is in a product called BioSeries WP. That's B-I-O-C-E-R-E-S-W-P. It is OMRI certified, so it can be used in organic. So, yes, there is a product. I don't know why we haven't tried that on our farm, but we may have to give that a shot.
0: All right, now I'll take a question. Mike from South Dakota. We are switching over to 15-inch row soybeans. What would be an ideal planting population? Well, I don't think the planting population necessarily has to be much different. Uh, The thing I like about the 15s is now you're spreading it out, so you're going to canopy that much quicker. So a lot of times we're still talking in the neighborhood of 140,000 that you probably might go a little heavier, 160, especially if it's lighter soil or something like that. Uh, You might go a little lower. You might even say, "Ah, I might try some 120,000 because I've got real heavy soil here, lots of water available. High fertility. High fertility, yeah. So uh, it means somewhere in that same range. So we're Uh,
1: still going to suggest you vary that rate, higher population in your bad areas, lower population in your best areas. That would be our advice.
0: But you know what? It's pretty easy to do planting population studies for yourself and just see. uh, But I would say this. If you're going to do it and you say, all right, I'm going to try 100, 150, and 200, and I'm going to do it uh, with this one variety, I would do it with multiple varieties on, on a few different fields. Like I said, it doesn't have to cost anything. If you were just saying, well, 150,000 is my population on every acre, fine, do a few acres at 100, do a few acres at 200. You didn't spend any more money on seed, and now you got all kinds of data when you get to harvest as to what population worked best over. A, several different varieties, or better yet, talk to some of your other friends around here or neighbors and say, hey, why don't you do the same study? And we'll compare notes when we
1: get the harvest. Weed control is almost the number one thing, though, on a lot of farms anymore. A lot of people have been struggling with weed pressure. That's where we like a little bit higher population. But, you know, if you got clean fields and you got lots of fertility, yeah, cutting the population is good. So, yeah, we, it doesn't really change much whether in 15s or 30s. All right, next question.
2: Hi, I'm Phil from Iowa, and uh, I just want to commend you two for do, putting on a great last couple of days. It's oh, thanks. It's been, been thanks. very, very good to, to listen to. I have a question, I guess, is would there ever be a time you could justify untreated soybean seed over treated soybean seed? I, I've always planted treated. There is a pretty significant cost difference, and I never would have the guts to go to untreated, but. I just want to know what your thoughts well, are. Well, it's the I same say, thing
1: as untreated corn, untreated wheat, anything. It's a gamble. Yeah, I, I so. would say I would say this. Uh,
0: one thing that our dad told us coming out of the 1980s that he learned was don't cut things that are making you money. So if you look at, hey, if I'm getting this return on investment, uh, then why would you cut it if you're getting a return? The the challenge is most farmers, like yourself, it's either all treated or all untreated. It's very rarely, you know what, I'm going to not treat over here. But where we do see it on quite a few farms is the last 10 or 20 units. It's, you know what, I treated up what I thought I was going to do, but I ran a little short. And so I grabbed some untreated at the end. And then you do get a little bit of a side-by-side sometimes, especially if you could actually get the same variety.
1: But yeah, when you stop and think about it, okay, you're getting fungicide, insecticide. I don't know if you're getting biologicals or not, but let's say it was just fungicide, insecticide. Well, if that year happens to be dry, not much disease, and then you don't have a history of insects, and insects don't seem to show up that year, yeah, it might be nothing. So I, I, I go back to even South Dakota State. They've run trials on this for years. And it was probably 20 years ago, and I looked at their summary over five years. And they had one year where, hey, it was five bushels. Actually, a couple years. I think it was close to five bushels. And then they had one or two years that was nothing, and then something in between. And on average, it was whatever, two or three bushels. And they're like, well, like, it looks like it pays. But if you luck out and you happen to hit one of those years where you, know, uh, not, you don't have any of that pressure and that, that's the whole thing. So like on our farm, the part of the reason why we're doing so many biologicals together with the fungicide insecticide packages so we have more chances to win. And we talked about this a little bit yesterday. When we're playing the odds, we want as many chances to win as possible. It's just like if you go to uh, Las Vegas and you're playing roulette. Well, it's red or black. I, You know, it's one or the other. Well, what we're after is, well, I want a whole bunch of other colors there that I could win on all these, too, if it just happens to hit on any of those. So, But, yeah, I, I mean, we do get that question quite often, but I always kind of come back to the corn side. I mean, would you really think about planting corn without that? I, I wouldn't want to do beans either. Beans are expensive now. They aren't. I mean, when Darren and I, well, heck, even as young agronomists, I, I mean, a lot of people were cu- cu- custom cleaning their own soybeans so they had six or eight or ten dollars into their beans. Well, at that point, if you lose some, it's not the end of the world. Today, when they're 40, 50, 60, uh, I'd hate to lose them. Plus, if you lose
0: it, you're planting a month later, later yep. and now you've lost a bunch of yield, too. Yep. So, yeah, I, I don't know. I would say no. I mean, we treat ours, we pay the money. That's kind of the cool thing uh, that people say, oh, you guys love recommending this or that. Look, we talk about what we're actually using on our farm, what we're actually writing checks for. And you know what? That's the greatest thing I can say to just about anybody is buy a piece of farm ground if you think it's so easy. And then you start writing those checks out and you'll find out real quick. Oh yeah, I want to go untreated. Really? Do you? Uh, and my dad would say with a lot of these things, he looked at them as insurance and he said, I can't sleep at night if I'm thinking, yeah. you know what? Uh, we're getting rain now. It was dry, but now we're getting rain and I don't have any fungicide out there. I could be in trouble.
1: All right. Let's get to our next question here.
3: Uh, Tom
2: from Iowa. Um, we just purchased a farm last year. and Congratulations. That's we awesome. have uh, base saturation on our K is about 2%. Yep. And I know you've mentioned in the past where, you know, the first year you'd like to really increase your levels to. We do. <laughs> to good levels. Yep. Right, now it's got to yeah. rain.
0: It's got to <laughs> rain, Tom. We did yeah. that on some ground in 2011, the fall of 2011. We put a bunch of K out to raise it up to 4%. Guess what, in three years, we did get up there. <laughs> but that first year, we never got a rain, so it never worked in.
3: Well, I know we're looking at
2: 6%. I know you've mentioned 6% quite a bit, Brian. And so in order to get to that level, I mean, you're looking at probably roughly 900 pounds of, of cape or okay. potash put on there. Yep. So would you, first of all, do you feel that's too much? And second question is
1: potash versus sulfated potash. Yeah. Your thoughts and why. Yep. Okay, so first of all, uh, I will just say for our farm and our soils and our environment, if I had to do 900, would I do it? Yes, I would. Uh, for you, have, have I can Have we done that? Yes. And higher. But but do we have a lot
0: of folks with a similar question that say, what would you think about putting 300 extra pounds out right. and do that three years over three years or over yep. every other year for six years or something like that? You absolutely can do it that way too. And you take yep. almost zero risk doing it that way. So- Yep. That, that's something to consider. Okay,
1: so the only thing that I don't like about the potassium sulfate idea is cost too much. Also... In this part of the country. In yes. other
0: areas, yep. the cost structure might be different, but in Iowa... It's significantly higher yep. price than what potassium chloride now, is. Now,
1: I will also say you need some chloride. We, we, we do work with farmers from time to time that are suffering from chloride deficiency. So, I, I mean, I would at least be putting a little bit out or, or once every other year, something that is potash as you work on this build program. But I, I'm fine with it. If you want to do potassium sulfate, that sounds great to me. It's just your net cost for potassium is going to be significantly higher. In a lot of cases, it's 50 to 100 percent higher so that's yeah and especially it wouldn't be a big deal if you're throwing 50 pounds out <laughs> when you start talking 900 whether it's in one year or three years or five years it's a lot more dollars you'd have to invest so you'd have to have some significant yield gain from that and i don't think you're going to get it yep yep got time for one more question before i break here go ahead
0: yeah jim from iowa um a seed company i work with they keep pushing that they're coming up with shorter and shorter season variety beans that are going to yield with your, yeah. more like your tutus two yep Well, if we're moving our planting dates ahead all the time, yep why aren't we going with longer season soybeans?
1: I'm with you. Because then if you harvest early, then what do they tell you? Oh, you got to put a cover crop in because you harvested so early. So now you got more work and more expense and everything else. So I think it's great that, the, earlier, the early beans are better, and they are. I will tell you, we work with a lot of farmers in northern North Dakota that are raising unbelievable yields with zeros and double zeros. It's great. Uh, I like having it as an option, uh, but I'm, I'm not making a big switch on our farm. I'll put it that way. I want something that grows pretty full season.
0: All right, stay tuned. We'll be right back.
1: What's the
7: difference between John, who bought Enlist One Herbicide and Instinct Next-Gen Nitrogen Stabilizer, and Tom, who bought Enlist One and Instinct Next-Gen and used True Choice? Only about $5,000 extra in Tom's pocket? Choose True Choice and get up to 10% back. It's really as simple as that. Start saving at Corteva.com save more.
5: Higher yield potential starts with the season-long systemic disease protection of Zyway brand fungicides from FMC. Zyway brand fungicides protect corn crops from key foliar diseases and support physiological benefits that help develop healthier, higher-yielding corn for a difference you'll appreciate at harvest. Visit your FMC retailer for an at-plant advantage. Always read and follow all label directions.
2: for the smallest investment with the biggest impact on yield, upgrade your planter with Germinator Closing Wheels from Farm Shop MFG. To see how we stack up against the competition at a fraction of the cost, call us at 712-520-6051. Get more durability
5: for less downtime with Soil Warrior Strip Tillage from Environmental Tillage Systems. Improve fertilizer efficiency and reduce passes and fuel usage. Now that's ROI. Learn more about ETS at SoilWarrior.com.
0: listening to ag PhD radio we're following an ag PhD soybean workshop and if you say oh man i really want to know when you're having your workshops and those types of things so i can catch them in the future either in person or online uh, just go to our website agphd.com click on events you can see our upcoming events we've got neil kinsey who's going to be here at the ag phd field day site in late february the 20th through the 22nd I would love to see you at that workshop. And then, of course, we've got our scouting and scholarships coming up in June, and we've got our Ag PhD field day the last Thursday in July. So you can check all those events out and get all the information you need at agphd.com. We did have a question about potassium chloride, and Brian made the comment, chloride is an essential nutrient. It's actually required in energy reactions in the plant, and it's specifically involved in a chemical breakdown of water in the presence of sunlight and activates enzymatic systems. It transports several cations within the plant, regulates the actions of the stomatal guard cells, thus controlling water loss, relieving moisture stress, and maintaining turgor. So there's just so many things with little micronutrients like chloride that are really important. You do need some of those essential nutrients. All right, let's take our next question.
1: Tim from North Central Iowa. I have two questions. One is a follow-up to that 900-pound application, rate. So would strip tillage and banding and RTK be a solution? We don't want to put massive rates in a band like that because now you're essentially build, build type rates yes yeah, so yeah if you, you
0: said I'm, I'm gonna get 400 bushel corn
1: here and I need
0: that much just to raise 400 bushel corn 100% I'm I'm interested in banding but if it's hey I'm trying to build my soil from 2% to 6% K for the long term uh, then then I'm much more interested in broadcasting
1: yeah so part of it is now we're doubling tripling or more the level that's there so I'm going to be a lot more cautious about putting massive rates on in any kind of strip till. But but I'll say
0: this. One thing I like about the strip till is you can put some nutrients down deep. And maybe you said, you know what? Okay, I need 900, but here's what I'm going to do. I would put 100 down about a foot deep. And then I'm going to put 300 in this top six inches and i'll do that a few years in a row and i'll get things built up i'd be all for that strategy because we've got good fertility in the top six inches but the next six inches down are usually much less well take a look oh, go at ahead. go ahead tim
1: so if okay. you can get that band area to yep. your six percent yep saturation level yep. is that enough it might be enough but the thing is you're probably not going to plant in that exact strip every year So that becomes the challenge. And what we found is when we first started strip tilling, we were concerned because we have terraces, we farm in the contour, we're like, I don't know if we're going to be able to follow this very well. Let's test this out and see what happens if we're off the strip. So what we found is if we were within about five inches of the strip either way, we were pretty good. Not 100%, but pretty good. If we were completely in the middle, we were not as good but the roots would find it they would go over so it's interesting when we dug down we're like oh roots take the path of least resistance they will eventually find that band but we just didn't maximize yield anymore so to think that oh we're just going to build in this strip i'm just i'm not super excited about that but if let's say you did this over the next three years and every year you move the strip over 10 inches okay now i'm feeling a lot better and here's the other thing um we have had some fields where we said, wow, we need like 1,500 pounds of potash, and we don't really want to do that. It's rented ground. Let's try some other things. And what we found worked pretty well is looking at the nutrient removal chart and just figuring grain only, and we just said, let's put out double what we think we're going to remove, and we'll put a pretty high-yield goal on it, one that we might not even hit. So we're, we're on a little bit of a build program, and we're strip-tilling, We're fine with that, and we just keep doing that every time we would plant corn or beans. We'd just be on a little bit of a build, uh, maybe 50% more, 100% more than what that crop was going to need for grain removal only. And over time, we started building our soil. We were able to get much better yields because there was a lot of K, and it was close where the plant needed it and everything else. So there are a lot of ways you can do this thing. You don't have to do it all in, oh, I'm just gonna go throw 900 pounds out there. Anymore because we have so much manure and have to do tillage because of the manure and everything else. I kind of like just building stuff up right away and having it over with, but there are lots of ways to farm successfully. So then a, a second question. You mentioned that Neil has a book. Yes. So I went to Amazon, unavailable. Went to the Internet, unavailable. Really? Went to Acres, unavailable. He's got the DVD that's available. <laughs> talk, but- talk to our, our Ag PhD people in the back there, and I'm guessing they can hook you up. Otherwise, I'll give you my copy. Well, I was <laughs> thinking maybe you could get a rush publication for the you know when he's going to be here. It might. Yep. I,
0: I don't know. Do we? Is are we going to have books available then, Daniel? Do you we have we his
1: hands-on agronomy book back there. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Yeah? yeah. Okay. Yep. So yeah,
0: stop in the back and and they can get you taken care of. But yeah, it is it is one that
1: they probably need to print some more. All right. Uh, ready for our next question here. Go ahead.
0: Yeah. Hi, this is Bob from Northeast South Dakota. I want to talk about uh, soybean population. Yep. Um, so with the uh, old air seeder, we used to shoot for 180,000. Yep. And now with the uh, planter 20 inch rows, um, i settled on
4: 140. Yep. Yep is that a good rate if it's if you're not doing variable would that be considered a yes because it's easy figuring for seed use too it is right then if it gets like into june i'll maybe go up to 150 160.
1: yes So, so yes that is a good rate and we would just tell you i i would on your 140 i like it as a kind of an across the board rate that's usually what i talk to guys about but like we've been saying hey if you've got really high fertility uh, really high yield zones. Your beans are getting shoulder high or bigger, whatever. You can certainly cut that back from 140 to 120 or something like that. No problem at all. Yep. Okay. Another question over here.
0: Yeah.
2: Hi, Bill from Nebraska. And I uh, was listening to the world record holder, Alex, um, yeah, Alex talk Heron. about, you know, how long his cotyledons has stayed on the plant. Do you feel there's any correlation to that as far as uh you know whether how long before the cotton are senesced off the plant
0: well i definitely think it speaks to plant health and it also speaks to nutrient availability when you look at those cotyledon leaves it's the two halves of the seed obviously they're full of nutrients that the design is at least i'm not the creator but i do believe the creator's purpose of the cotyledon leaves is to try to feed that plant until it had enough of a root system to feed itself so yes if you had to suck those dry because the roots couldn't find any nutrients that's not a good sign for 200 bushel yield like alex got Uh, and then you know when it comes to plant health with insects with diseases all those things yeah if you can keep those clean and have them hold on longer i think it's a good deal we have noticed in our best yielding fields here our cotyledons hang around a lot longer so i i think i don't think you have to have that happen, but I think it's a pretty good indication that everything is good.
1: Let's take this one step further. If let's say the seed producer the year before had great levels of fertility in the soil, now there will be more nutrients in that seed. Is it possible that that could make the cotyledons hold on longer? I don't know for sure, but I know we raise a lot of seed production and we also produce a lot of feed for a dairy and we are constantly looking at trying to get more nutritious feed and have more Nutrients into the seed, whether it's corn or beans or alfalfa, whatever it would happen to be. Uh, so I, there may be some correlation there too. We just haven't studied that part to take that you know to the next level.
0: Okay, Uh, Geronimo had a question. How do you control Queen Anne's Lace, otherwise known as wild carrot in soybeans? Roundup works really good. If you get Roundup Ready soybeans, that would be my first choice. Back in the conventional soybean days, we used a lot of Synchrony, which would be a combination of what used to be called Pinnacle and Classic. Uh, that, That actually worked, especially if you got it fairly early. Uh, So there are a few decent options for for Queen Anne's Lace or Wild Carrot. Jim said, can you fertigate double K or ag liquids, sure K, in the reproductive stages to boost potassium? A lot of that potassium is going to get in through the root. Could you put it on with fertigation? Sure, you could.
1: Yeah. I I mean, it's just that we aren't talking about massive rates there. And the question we had earlier about putting potash on in season, I guess I felt like, hey, that was going to be more of a bigger rate. Uh, So yeah, low rates, absolutely. We're in favor of that.
0: Uh, This one comes from Jerry. He said, I want to use the three pre's on my enlist no-till soybeans. My crop consultant doesn't want me to use metribuzin. My CEC is 6.6 up to 9.6. Yeah. Uh, my organic matter is less than 1 up to 1.6. Yep. Should I skip it and then Probably. is there a substitute?
1: There isn't a direct substitute, but I would look at, depending on your weed spectrum, a group 15, a low rate of pursuit, something like that. But yeah, there's no direct replacement for and Just make sure you keep your rate of PPO up fairly high and you're fine.
0: Yeah, and you may strongly consider using that early post-emerge group 15 yes, application yes. to extend your residual window. Definitely. Too. Well, thanks for all the questions, and thanks to you for listening to our show today. Be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.